So, my name is Terry Swan. I'm the senior pastor here, if we have not met. And so, if we haven't and we're closing up worship today, please come and see me. I'd love to talk to you and get to know you. Today, we're um, in a, our Lenten series on parables. And um, we're talking about feasting and fasting. There are times for both. And, you know, the church has struggled with this over the, over the years. And it's sort of like when I... As, this week I hurt my back. Anybody ever thrown your back out? I mean, like, okay, so I literally bent over a hospital bed to pray with someone, and when I raised up, right? And you think, Lord Jesus, just take me home now, right? Because it hurts so bad. And it, when your back hurts, everything hurts. It hurts to move, and so you move at the speed of smell, right? You just move really slowly. And as I was <clears throat> home, thank goodness for a leave and muscle relaxers, um, as I was home and I was moving very slowly from my place on the couch to my place on the bed, I thought this is about the speed the church moves right here, the speed of smell. And I'm meaning the big church, big C, not the little C, not Salem per se, but the big church. And um, sometimes when we do, you know, actually pull the trigger on change, we'll hear things like this. Well, we've never done it that way before, right? Have you ever heard that? We've never done it that way before. Or we might hear someone say, well, we're not supposed to do that we're not supposed to sing that or say that in church, are we? I will never forget the first time I ever introduced a, a secular song into worship, a, a song that was played on the radio every day. And uh, I brought that into worship, and people were like, Pastor Terry, what are you doing? That, that, that song's not for church. And I said, why not? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's this... We're not supposed to do that in church. Well, let me just say this, and this might shock you just a little bit. I hope it does. Jesus was a rule breaker. Jesus was a rule breaker. He healed on the Sabbath against the rules. He had meals with tax collectors and sinners. He gathered the children around him to offer grace and encouragement Children were the least. They weren't even supposed to be acknowledged. He talked with women who some might consider have loose morals. He touched the lepers, and he went out of his way to offer hope to people who were hopeless, people who were considered by society untouchable, unwanted, and unredeemable. He broke the rules of society. And sometimes he even broke the rules of religion. And that's why the Pharisees were always asking him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? They were criticizing him and questioning him all the time. Because, see, the Pharisees were focused on the rules of religion. And in their Orthodox Jewish understanding, they had made worshiping God an act of ritual and rules. In fact, they had systemized their religious observances to a fault. Now, I'm going to read to you the parable where the, the Pharisees are asking a question of Jesus about fasting. 
This comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. Some people said to Jesus, The disciples of John fast often and pray frequently. The disciples of the Pharisees do the same. But your disciples are always eating and drinking. Jesus replied, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? The days will come when the groom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Then he told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment to patch an old garment. Otherwise, the new garment would be ruined and the, and the new patch wouldn't match the old garment. Nobody pours new wine into, into old wineskins. If they did, the new wine would burst the wineskins, the wine would spill, and the wineskins would be ruined. Instead, new wine must be put into new wineskins. No one drinks a well-aged wine wants a new wine, but says the well-aged wine is better. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, help us to understand your word today. Place it deep into our heart. And I pray, oh God, that you would help me get out of the way so that your word might be proclaimed. May your Holy Spirit wash over me. And may my words be your words. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, these questions of fasting and feasting. I love to read William Barclay. He's a theologian, um, an author, pastor. He said this about the and about the the people way the way that people described um, fasting and feasting in the time. You see. They would ritualize their fasting. They would paint their faces so that everyone could see that they were fasting. On, and they would uh, fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And then their prayers were even scheduled every day, like morning, noon, and night, for everyone to see. And Jesus had something to say about showy religion. Uh, if we go to the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, he talked about, when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and talk to your father. When you fast, don't paint your faces so that everyone can see. That's between you and God. He talked about this showy religion, and so we have to take note of that. And I would say that we, too, are like the Pharisees in many ways, um, especially when there's different understandings and faith backgrounds. Take, for instance, I don't know if you've seen in the news recently that the Catholic Church is having a big brouhaha over whether this fake meat is really fasting for meat. And, um, and so, but we can't point the finger at other faith backgrounds and other understandings without three fingers pointing back at us, right? Because... We, too, get wrapped up in our do's and our don'ts of religion. In the parable today, Jesus uses a couple of examples that would have been understood very clearly in his time. First, Jesus answers the questions of why the disciples are not fasting like the disciples of John with giving a word picture of a wedding. And I, always, I have to say this, I always love it when Jesus answers a question with a question. He, he makes us think. And so he starts with, 
Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? So Jesus is with them during this time, ushering in the kingdom. It's not a time for fasting. So he, he likens it to a wedding celebration. Now, back in the day when Jesus was there, the wedding was um, a celebration of a week long. How would you like to pay for that reception? And the wine would flow. And it was a celebration. It was actually the bridegroom's responsibility to pay for the celebration. He would actually go to the bride's home and escort her and her family and her friends and guests to his home, and the celebration would take place there. And it would go on and on for a week. Um, I got to attend a, a wedding reception last night. Uh, Clayton Ginch, going to this church for 25 years, married a beautiful woman by the name of Megan, and we celebrated. Jeff was their best man last night, and, the, and he's here for church in the morning. On, I, all right, there we go. Give him a, give him a praise right there. Um, and so this wedding celebration it was full of joy, and it was full of dancing and celebration, and Jesus likens this to the Christian life. It's time for feasting, he says, for I am with you, not fasting. There will be a time for that, he says. And so now, as he often did, Jesus uses this incident of the Pharisees questioning him as a moment to teach. And so he begins this parable with this likens to the cloth. So he says, basically, you can't take a new garment and patch it to the old one. It would be like if I took a pair of brand new jeans, still had the price tag on them. You know how much jeans cost today, right? They're costly. And I said that I was going to cut a hole in my brand new jeans, and I was going to put them and patch them onto my old ones that were wearing out. You would tell me what? Are you nuts? That's not going to work because you're going to ruin your new pair of jeans, and your old ones probably won't last much longer anyway. You see, he uses this image of old and new. And he uses the same image of old and new with wineskins. Now, that, that one might be a little bit more difficult for us to understand. Because, you see, as I read about how they processed wine, I thought to myself, oh, thank goodness we have machinery. For processing and we put our wine in bottles now because wine was made by treading barefoot barefoot on the grapes in a wine press or a square or a circular pit honed out of rock and so I saw one of these actually in Capernaum when we went to Israel this last time carved out of rock they would pour the grapes into that and then they would tread upon those grapes think of I love Lucy remember the I love Lucy scene where she's treading through the grapes and that was a big barrel but this would have been in rock honed out of rock and then there was a trench for the wine to flow out of into the wine vat and that's where the wine would ferment and then they would take the wine not fully fermented yet they would take that juice and they would pour it into a wine skin now this basically was a whole goat skin an entire goat skin with the tail and the legs cut off and the head cut off and sewn together like that. Ugh. 
right? Instead of, hey, honey, will you go to the cellar and get me another bottle of wine? It would be, hey, honey, can you go get me that wine skin? I think that one was Billy. You know? He saw this big old thing that carried the wine in it. And so they had to do this this way, though, because you could not put it in an old wine skin. Because if they put the new wine in the old wine skin, there would be no place for it to stretch, and it would break, and the new wine would be spilled out onto whatever they were holding. And so these people understood what Jesus was saying. This new and this old could not go together. So what then does it mean for us, this old and new? Rules, rituals, new, old, feasting, fasting, what does it mean for us? Jesus was opposed radically to religion by rule. I want you to just let that soak into your soul for just a moment. Jesus was opposed radically to religion by rule. The other pastors and I had the opportunity this last week to hear Mike Slaughter. Anybody recognize that name? He is a pastor. He was a pastor, retired now, of Tip City, Ohio, Ginghamsburg, United Methodist Church, one of the largest United Methodist churches we have in our denomination. And we had the, pa- the privilege this last week of going and hearing Mike talk and challenge us. And he talked a great deal about how Jesus was a person who brought radical new understandings of the kingdom of God. Jesus was trying to usher in the newness of life by bringing heaven here on earth. And he was asking people to follow him, to become kingdom people. It was new, it was radical, it was joyful. It was a time for feasting and it was a time in which everything would be turned upside down and inside out. Nothing would be recognized. As N.T. Wright, a theologian, says, what Jesus is doing is putting into effect the new world that God is bringing about. And the old ways just don't fit. They are obsolete, not because they were bad in themselves, but because God's new age has new power, new possibilities, and new hope. How often, church, do we get trapped in the old? How often do we get trapped in the way we've always done things or that's new and uncomfortable, I'm not sure about that. In other words, we get so focused on the how that we forget our why. You hear what I'm saying here? We get so focused on the how instead of focusing in on why. Jesus is our why. Jesus is why we come to worship. Jesus is why we serve. Jesus is why we study. Jesus is why we pray. And Jesus is why we fast when appropriate and feast in his heavenly banquet. And when God's kingdom is realized here on earth, that's a time for feasting, church. That's a time for celebration. And that's when we can lift up the joy that fills our heart. And this parable helps us to realize, it helps us to realize something, that we are not to shut our minds and our hearts to new possibilities because they're uncomfortable or because we don't understand. 
God can use all kinds of ways to usher in God's kingdom because God can do that, right? God can do anything. Now then, he also said something. Slaughter also said something that really burdened my heart this week. Did you know that between the ages of 18 and 35, we have some of that age bracket in here, 18 to 35, only 4% go to church. 4%. That means 96% of people ages 18 to 35 are not worshiping anywhere. But yet, spirituality is going up. Institution religion's going down. And there's this gap that we have to fill. You see, this is where we are failing this generation. We have to fill this gap with what's going to bring them the kingdom of God. We have to reach out in new ways. Now, Salem has been intentional in welcoming all people. Gender, race, rich, poor, young, old, gay, straight. We welcome all people in Christ's name. But that's an old model of welcoming, welcoming them toward us. You see what I'm saying here? It's like the Field of Dreams movie. Build it and they will come, right? That's an old model. We have to be going to them, which means that we might be having to place ourselves in some situations and some places that make us uncomfortable. But that's okay, right? If it's reaching people for Christ, the parable teaches us that we should not fear the new. That's a thing, maybe the thing that we have always done may be the very reason that we don't need to do that anymore. Or a thing that has never been done that way very well may be the reason that we need to try it. If it's going to reach people for Christ. If we say we need to be more like Jesus, have you, ever, have you ever heard that, we need to be more like Jesus? Well, if we need to be more like Jesus, then don't we need to be a little bit more radical in how we share this amazing, extravagant love with others? Don't we need to step out of our comfort zone, move into a place that maybe we don't understand, and try to meet them where they are and help them to see who Christ can be? Mike Slaughter offered this thought as well. How can people outside the church ever experience the depth of Jesus' love when those of us who claim it fail to demonstrate Jesus' revolutionary love to each other? To those who have no experience of church, looking from the outside, we might appear exclusive, irrelevant, and even fearful. So how have we lost our sight? And have we lost our sight of why we come together in, in Jesus Christ as Lord? Do we get too concerned over the do's and the don'ts, church? Maybe. I put on a pair of jeans this morning. How many times have you ever seen me in jeans? Not very many, right? You like it? Good. Might wear it, I might do that more often, right? It was a little uncomfortable for me this morning, picking out a pair of jeans to come and worship instead of wearing my dress. 
But if it helps people feel comfortable, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it. It's significant that Jesus answers the question with a question about a wedding. More, on more than one occasion, Jesus likens this Christian life to joy, the celebration of a wedding feast. In fact, that's where he gave his first miracle. Remember the story of how this wedding feast was happening and they'd run out of wine? And they didn't have any, and Mama said to Jesus, come fix this. Come fix it. And so they filled the, the jars full of water. And Jesus turned that water into wine, and not just any wine, the best wine, the most abundant, ever-flowing wine. Joy is foundational, church, in who we are. As those who follow Jesus Christ, shouldn't we carry that joy out into the world with us? Shouldn't we let people know who we worship? May we carry that on our hearts? I don't know about you, but freedom is something to be pretty joyful over. Because Jesus Christ has freed us from sin and death. And so we live in freedom. And we live in joy and we live in love. And, not, and we live in this grace that he has given us. And not just any grace, but best grace, the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. Well, the big C might move slow. It's true. But this little C doesn't have to, does it? We don't have to move slow, do we? No, we don't. We do not have to move slow. We might even break a few rules, church, in doing it. And that's okay. And that's okay. Because if one person comes to Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? Maybe our question needs to be this from here on out. Whatever we're doing, worship, service, out into the community, whatever we're doing, is it going to reach the 96% who do not know Jesus Christ? Maybe that should be our question. And maybe that should be our guide. Because if one person knows Jesus from us stepping out of our comfort zone, then the hallelujahs can begun, begin, right? kingdom of God is realized when his purposes match the purposes here on earth as it is in heaven. You prayed that prayer. As it is in heaven. When the poor are cared for, the hungry fed, the thirsty offered living water, when the oppressed are lifted up, that's when the kingdom is realized. And that's when we're acting as kingdom people. That's our call, really, to go out and be kingdom people in a world that needs God's love, needs that understanding and needs that grace. So my challenge to you, church, is go be radical. Carry, carry this in your heart. I'm going to invite the, the band to come on up. Carry this in your heart, in your daily actions, in your conversations. Let people see the joy that's within you, the peace that you have. You know, I've had people who have asked me this question. They've said, 
you know, you, you have something I don't. You have something I don't. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a little piece of that in my heart. My dad said that to me one time. You, you have something I don't. It's offered to all. It's offered to all people. And we're the vessels. We're the vessels that can bring it to other people. We're the ones that can share the joy in our heart and the peace in our soul of how Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.